Hello and welcome to Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm today's host, Dr. Susanna Harris. I am a communicator and engagement manager at a biotech accelerator. And I'm very excited because as you can tell, we are doing something a little bit different today. Dr. Alok Taib, the co-founder and CEO of Vive Biotech, who is normally your host, is coming to us today as a guest to tell us some really exciting news about what's about to happen next for him. So hello, Dr. Alok Taib, how are you doing? And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know I just prepped us for some exciting stuff. We're going to get to it, but where are you coming from? What's your background? Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. You know, really grateful to have you as a guest host on a podcast that I usually host. So it's awesome to have you with us. So yeah, you know, my name is Alok. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vibe Bio. So I'm actually a scientist by trade and training. I spent about 15 years at the bench doing research. I actually did my PhD at Northwestern. My collaborator actually won the Nobel Prize in 2016. Uh, then I spent time at Harvard where I worked for a guy named George Whitesides. George was the founder of Genzyme and Theravance and a bunch of other successful biotech companies. But then unlike my peers who are going to go into academia, I actually ended up catching the software bug and started a few software companies focused on the biotech industry. Those biotech companies have raised over $100 million in venture, have a few hundred employees, and are doing pretty well. And I was also fortunate enough to start and run the life sciences division of a big software company called Ignite, built that unit into an eight-figure-year business with about 60 employees. So I've spent the vast majority of my time at this really unique intersection that I think has become really exciting over the past few decades between tech and biotech. And I've sort of seen how tech has started to permeate a lot of the work that's done in our wonderful industry of life sciences. And then, you know, mid last year, my wife and I were really fortunate enough to have our first kid, though the pregnancy went okay. Unfortunately, our daughter was born very sick and spent a long time in the hospital. One of the hardest parts about that experience, though, is that though the diseases that she had were somewhat common, the disease biology well understood, unfortunately, there were no dedicated therapeutic options available to her. And as a consequence, she spent a long time in the hospital suffering. It was a really hard experience for my wife and I, where you know we felt truly helpless and abandoned, especially as individuals who both work in the life sciences industry, knowing how to treat a disease, but not having an actual treatment just didn't compute for us. And so I think it became a passion for me and an obsession to better understand why that problem exists and go and solve it. And so last year, I decided to leave the software world and start Vibe. And Vibe is a biotech company that is building a community of patients, scientists, and partners that identify and invest in different drug development programs in innovative ways. Wow. I mean, there's so much there. And, and as you're speaking, I can hear a lot of that, what you said, passion and that obsession with solving this problem that's at the intersection of biotech, tech, and I'd hazard to guess just sort of like people, humans. You use the term, you felt helpless and abandoned in these situations. I can only imagine really how difficult that was. Can you tell me a little bit more about that experience, the time that you spent waiting for answers and, and how that's affected your drive? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that it's been one of the hardest parts, I think, about that experience was spending the time in the NICU with my daughter. Inevitably, that experience changes you. You know, the way I wash my hands at the sink is different. The way you think about walking into the NICU and what you experience, whether it's the din of the alarms that are going off or the coarseness of the cloth with which they swaddle the kids, all of those individual aspects 
shape your experience, your being, everything you focus in on. And it's one set of experiences that I think any family member who has had a sick loved one, especially a sick child, all shares in common. And so as a part of that experience, one of the other facets that also emerges is the fact that you spend time with other parents who also have sick kids, either in the room or the bay next to you, in the family room or elsewhere. And you start to spend time with them and build a kinship that every time you return to the hospital and happen to run into them in the hallway, you know, you have a good long hug and conversation about how their respective families are doing. And I think there's a piece of that though, that also starts to tie you together, which is there was some commonality we started to observe. In all those cases, uniquely, every single family we met had a tremendous amount of hope. And I think a part of it was that we were fortunate to have tremendous medical establishment here in the Boston area to support our children. And so every family was hopeful that something would help their loved one. The issue, however, that we observed was that all of them, though their diseases were understood and well, well known and well cataloged, there were actually no therapeutic options available for them as well. And what it translated to was actually a circumstance where what they needed was actually a little bit of help. And it became clear to me that when it came to identifying and administering potential therapies for these diseases, that the challenge was not finding a candidate treatment, it was funding it. And so I think it was that collection of experiences and that kinship that you built with these mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, grandfathers, grandmothers, that gave me the motivation to say, you know what, we need to go and figure out a new way to solve these problems. And so I think that kinship, that community that emerged along with the insight that tied us all together is what led me to start Vibe. So we got to get into it then. We have to know what Vibe Bio is. You're taking on this challenge of not just finding the treatments, but funding them. You're harnessing your background, but also the passion that you have. And you're saying the kinship of all of these people around the world who are fighting for their families. What is Vibe Bio doing? How are you going to solve this problem? Yeah. And it's a great question. So Vibe Biotechnology is fundamentally a community of patients, scientists, and partners. And our common goal is to find every cure for every community. Now, the interesting thing that we've observed over the past few decades has been some of the most canonical medicines that we rely on, whether it be the vaccine for polio or treatments for cystic fibrosis or forms of hypertension, were actually developed and funded not by large institutions or by pharma but actually by communities of patients rallying together in the form of a charity, raising money philanthropically, and then investing in drug development. Let me put you in the shoes of a family member. Imagine walking into the doctor's office and being told that your child was afflicted with a rare disease, and that though we knew a lot about that disease, that there were no treatment options available. That parent you would feel tremendously helpless and abandoned just the way our family did and others do every day. When you are in that situation, your first instinct is to go find a biotech or pharma company to dedicate some of their massive resources to go tackle said disease. But between incentives and capacity constraints, it becomes impractical for large institutions to go after a variety of overlooked diseases. So then your only other two options really are on one extreme, billionaires or on the other end, bake sales, where you have to rely on the generosity of wealthy individuals in order to gain enough donations to be able to fund a potential treatment and understand the disease, or run enough bake sales in order to be able to get enough cash to be able to invest in those research programs. Vibe Bio believes there's a better way. And so through our community, what we do is we're actually bringing this community together of patients, scientists, and partners 
to help us identify and vet promising disease areas and candidate programs for overlooked diseases, initially starting with rare disease. This group and community of experts and practitioners can help not only identify, but also vet and prioritize which ones have the highest potential. From those highly prioritized programs, we then actually finance the drug development, whether it be the preclinical development and formulation and DMPK or early phase clinical trials or GMP manufacturing. And the way we do that is through cryptocurrency token sales. And so using innovative financing structures, we believe we can actually bring a completely new source of capital to the table in order to help develop these promising treatments, which have tremendous scientific viability, have good unit economics, but just require someone to focus on them and requires a community and the power to really be put in the hands of the patients to decide where those funds should be allocated. All right. So I understand almost all of this, this idea of finding every cure for every community. And what you're talking about is bringing together patients, scientists, and partners. And like you said, one of the biggest challenges here is funding. And that's where you're bringing in cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency token sales as a model for innovative financing. Can you tell us, for those of us, self-included, who don't know a lot about crypto, what is crypto and why is it innovative, but then also get into why would you use it for this application? So crypto is a really exciting area, and there's been a tremendous amount of investment and excitement in this space over the past decade. Fundamentally, from a technology perspective, there's a myriad of different technologies out there that are developing digital databases and distributed ledgers that enable these sorts of tokens to be created and traded and managed. You know, probably best for us not to go into that level of depth at this specific stage. However, taking one level up, what we see is that this construct of a digital token has started to transform how we think about technology, whether it be data storage, compute, communities with DAOs, as well as incentive structures. Further, because of the excitement and capital that's been flowing in and the innovation and the liberation and democratization that crypto can enable in finance, we've seen this industry grow from zero to almost $2 trillion market cap in about a decade. That's a huge amount of capital that's available that didn't exist more than a decade ago. Interesting thing about crypto is that as a fundamental asset class first, it empowers individuals to take risks and try and tackle big problems. So the risk tolerance of crypto is quite high. The second is because of the distributed ledger and its ability to trade as well as it be exchanged between individuals and other pieces of software, there's a tremendous amount of liquidity of these instruments as well. So when you start to juxtapose what biotech really is, biotech at the end of the day has a couple of key facets. The first is that it is actually a multi-party distributed practice, right? You have a biotech company, but they have a CRO, a CDMO, consultants, pharmaceutical partners, et cetera. It already is a distributed activity. Second, it's also one that has a need for high risk tolerance. Because of how biology operates, you need long-term thinking investors. But then lastly, it also takes a community, a community of patients, providers, payers, regulators, to all support the development of a candidate medicine. And so just philosophically, there's a lot of alignment between the biotech industry and the cryptocurrency industry. But in the context of crypto specifically, the other facet that I think it helps us accomplish is the fact that these assets are ultimately liquid. So when you look at the traditional investment structures today in biotech, you have public market equities, and you also have biotech-focused venture capital firms. 
Both are good for different stages of a company, different quantities of capital, and have different pros and cons. But for a lot of the early stage work that we're talking about, it just tends to be biotech VCs that take on the majority of that early stage risk. However, the challenge when you're a biotech venture firm is that you have a finite amount of capital. You have a commitment that you're making to your limited partners in terms of the internal rate of return that you have to provide because of the illiquidity of that asset. And therefore, you have to make very focused, often somewhat conservative bets to ensure that you can actually deliver that return back to the LPs who made that commitment to you. Now, if you flip the switch, however, and you actually look at crypto, crypto has a similar, if not greater risk tolerance compared to biotech venture, but also has the opportunity whereby you can actually trade that token at any point in time in the future. So one can purchase the token, and at any point in time, if they're not happy with the performance of the entity or the asset, they can actually simply sell it in the future. We believe these facets of high risk tolerance, as well as scalability and liquidity, allows us to tap a completely new $2 trillion pool of capital that can be brought to bear in the drug development space, and specifically in these overlooked diseases like rare diseases. So would it be fair to say that this idea, this system could allow people to make a difference, even if they're not millionaires? Is that a decent takeaway? I think that's a perfect takeaway from today's discussion, which is at the end of the day, we want to create a third option that isn't billionaires or bake sales, such that families and communities that are passionate about curing a given disease have not only a community, but also the power to pursue a cure. And in this circumstance, we're excited to be able to launch this overall approach first with a $12 million round of financing that's been led by initialized capital. We're really excited to have a long-term ambitious partner like Initialized and Parl Singh there, who's our partner, to help support us in this next leg of our journey. But second, in addition to that capital, we're also really excited to announce two key patient partnerships that help to prove out this model. In one case, we're partnering with Chelsea's Hope, which is a patient community focused on Lafora disease. And in the other, we're partnering with NF2 Biosolutions, which is focused on finding treatments for neurofibromatosis type 2. In both of these cases, you have extraordinarily vibrant communities with unique rare diseases that are deadly and dangerous. But in both circumstances, both of these organizations, despite their years and sometimes in some cases even decades worth of effort, have struggled to find access to enough capital to be able to get candidate medicines into a clinical trial. And so we're collaborating with both those organizations to be able to help bring it to reality of this community-owned model of investing and identifying potential programs for key diseases. And so what's your vision for Vibe looking forward in the future? Where is Vibe going? What is Vibe going to do? And maybe even larger than that, where's the industry going? What is this going to look like? It's a really interesting question. And I wish I could predict the future in the same way uh, many of my guests do from time to time. But you know, I think the thing that I would sort of come back to is that there's fundamentally one key thread that I think ties the entire industry together, and that's the patient. The patient needs to be at the center of what we do in the biotech world. And I think the challenge has become that when you have constraints in terms of capital and focus and a myriad of other external externalities that influence what decisions you make, whether it be profits, politics, et cetera, I think we tend to lose sight of the patient. And so what I hope we can start to accomplish and demonstrate is a a third approach to financing the development of medicines that empowers patients themselves to be in the driver's seat of driving the next generation of drug development, where both through a community, they can have a group of people to be able to share experiences and best practices and 
help identify candidate therapies for their disease area, but then second, also have access to the capital required to be able to make that first step. So over time, if we're successful in just that first initial step, my hope is that Vibe Bio as a whole can become the largest community of patients, scientists, and partners, in part because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. As more and more patients come to the forefront and we're able to develop initially some successful medicines, the financial capital that comes back from that drug development, along with the larger quantity of participants that come to the forefront, allows us to continue and extend and scale that process in a repeatable and sustainable fashion. So our hope is that Vibe becomes a pillar of this community-owned medicines approach to drug development, but also ensures the broader industry starts to rethink how we can ensure that the patient stays at the center while also meeting long-term scientific and financial objectives. And before we wrap up, I want to ask maybe a difficult question, which is looking back at yourself at this time where you were in such a hopeless and abandoned position. If you could go back now and talk to that person and tell that person anything, give them any advice, any hope, what would you say? I think the number one thing I would communicate would be that you actually aren't alone and that those around you, especially in the context of rare disease, which affects one in 10 Americans, has a community of the most humble, strong, determined individuals you'll have ever met. And that together, that community can accomplish way more than what any one individual or institution really could themselves. And so my hope is that what Vibe manifests is that ethos, that humanity that resonates throughout that community and serves as a center of excellence for that community such that they, namely patients, not profits or politics, can drive drug discovery. Mm, Actual goosebumps. Well, Alok, thank you so much for this opportunity to get to ask you these questions and learn a little bit more about this exciting new enterprise that you are building. Last question for you is how do people learn more about Vibebio? How can they get involved in this community movement? Well, you know, we're really excited today. In addition to launching our first partnerships and announcing our large round of financing, uh, we're also kicking off the signups for our community. And so you can go to vibebio.com, V-I-B-E-B-I-O.com, or you can find us on Twitter at vibe underscore bio, or uh, reach us out on LinkedIn at vibebio. So we'd really love to hear from you if you're a, a patient or a patient advocate. If you're a drug developer looking to get closer to the patient or an investor looking to find ways to be able to help support both a great economic and medical outcome, we'd love to hear from everybody in the community. Brilliant. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up to all the listeners. You heard what you got to do. Go look at this stuff. It's going to be in the show notes. Thank you again for coming and listening to Biotech 2050 podcast. Please come back, subscribe, like it, share it with people. This message needs to get out there, as do all of the amazing messages on this podcast every single episode. Alok, thank you again for inviting me to be a host, and thank you so much for sharing the story. Thank you so much.